Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 138th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, managed cybersecurity, and managed information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is, how secure is your law firm's data? Today, our guest is Peter Bauman, the CEO and founder of ActiveNav, a leading data privacy and governance software provider. Peter is a business builder who cut his teeth in the electronic publishing industry at Bureau Van Dyke, Standard & Poor's Global Markets, and several startups. He has 25-plus years of international experience in high-growth finance and technology industries and co-founded two other companies. It's great to have you with us today, Peter. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I do need to update that bio. Those 25 years are now more than 30 years, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, none of us want to fess up to how many years there are, right? Thank goodness there's no photo. <laughs> well, Peter, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? What led you to found ActiveNav and what exactly does your company do? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So uh, as with many startups and entrepreneurs, there's a long and a short version of a business's uh, inception. I'll, I'll give you the short version. I was lucky enough to be brought into an existing shell that had some really cool tech from uh, a university spin out uh, over here in the UK. But it had has kind of struggled to find its uh, you know, core raison d'etre. Uh, why, why did it exist? Uh, classic uh, university spin out, some really good tech. Now, is there a market for it? So, so my job and that of my early team was to find its uh, niche. And back then in, uh, in a 2008, this effectively meant kind of taking a bet on what we believe would be and became an exponential growth of data and specific, specifically unstructured data, you know, the really hard stuff, the elephant in the room, the stuff that sits outside of databases. We ran some early uh, proof of concepts with some UK customers and some of them UK government as well. And uh, kind of demonstrate we could very quickly determine value from the data without any prior knowledge of that information. Now, these were in the days really when, uh, you know, AI and ML uh, was uh, nascent at best, didn't really exist. And so we had the equivalent, uh, our own algorithms and linguistic algorithms were already doing that work that would now be described as AI. And we found our technology was really cool at uh, kind of raising the value out of that data with no prior knowledge. And uh, it, it enabled the customers to start going on a journey with the, uh, the data, whether it be from a pure audit inventory perspective through to remediation, workflows, et cetera, et cetera. So th those are the early days. And then over the last 10 years, as uh, we all know, uh, the markets matured enormously. And eventually over time, an, a labor was given for the part of the market that, that our technology sat in, and that was file analysis. And uh, the use cases that file analysis supports expanded to cover, again, common language today, data discovery, data remediation, data labeling, data minimization, and to support the fields of IG, privacy regulation, such as CCPA, GDPR, and post-breach support. So I think the long version is for another day. Is that helpful? Very. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Peter, un unfortunately, we've been seeing a lot 
more and more data breaches at not just the large global companies, but at smaller and medium-sized organizations like the law firm Stevens and Lee and even the Georgia State Bar. And it really seems that it's inevitable. Data breaches are there. It's not a when, but an if scenario. What data protection methods could these organizations, or what do you think they could have done better to prepare themselves for a breach? Yeah, uh, John, you hit you hit the the nail on the head. Data breaches are, are very much a a when and not if situation, and no one is immune. The best technology, the best doors and locks and alarm systems won't stop the uh, the bad actors getting into your network. I think I think people understand that now. And data protection, data privacy uh, policies and regulations are, are crucial to employ, so that when they do get into your network, uh, you've only got the right data um, that uh, you know is there, and that data effectively can then be correctly uh, labelled, categorised, locked down whatever lockdown means to the organization. It could be encrypted, it could be removed, it could be deleted. Um, but the most important thing is when the bad actors are in your network, you've reduced the, the kind of threat footprint for them to go to go grab, if you like. You know, and I use the, the threat uh, attack or footprint, if you like, really, it's really important. You know, it comes from the cyber community. And what we've also seen over recent years is the coming together of these different facets of information in the organization. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, it largely sat within information management, records management, and we've seen that really grow recently. So now you have the the privacy, the GCs, the cyber, the CISO, and, and of course, usually the IT and the CIO um, departments in there. And then the, the people are responsible for implementing uh, the privacy regulations, such as DPOs in, in the UK, Europe, and uh, CPOs in the US. And the cyber community uses the term, the threat attack surface. And so it's about reducing the threat attack surface. And, you know, typically that is about the number of vulnerabilities that an organization, a law firm may have as points of entry for the the bad actors. Um, For me, I think it's both that and endpoint devices, but also the data that sits on those um, devices and those systems. That's part of the surface, and it's all about controlling access to that surface, recognizing you one day you will be breached, and therefore, when they reach the surface, you've only got the right information. Well, I know we're always preaching about being proactive versus reactive, but and sometimes it takes and sometimes it doesn't, but how do you explain the importance of having a proactive data protection strategy versus a reactive strategy? Yeah, it, it, in short, and for me, it's the difference between being prepared, Sharon, and unprepared. Cyber breaches are recognized today as a form of war, it, albeit a digital war. And it's scary, uh, scary rather, how the parallels are the same as a physical war. When, when you go to war, you want to be prepared. If not, the consequences are going to be long, painful, and costly at best, and, and, and obviously devastating and, and probably not recoverable at worst. And you, you have to think about uh, you know, cyber risk and cyber risk your data in, in the same way. And so essentially, in the world of data, it's about getting ahead of the bad guys. They will, I think most of the audience will know this, um, but it's always good to repeat. It's a scary uh, statistic. But on average, your bad actors will be within your network, your system, for around 300 days before you discover them. And the, the Poneman Institute does some excellent research on that. If you're not familiar with it, uh, they update it each year. And usually it's within five, 10% of those 300 days and getting worse. You need to think like those 
those intruders will think, the burglars will think in your network. They won't be after your flat screen TV and your iPad. They'll be after your IDs, your crown jewels, your customers' information and their IDs. And they need to determine what is it they want that data for? Is it a simple hack just to take the data and try and set it on fast? Or is it more nuanced and slightly uh, in a slight, slightly more intelligent in a way, which is that they want to you know, demand a ransom through it? And then what's the nature of the data they're going to be calling a ransom against? And do they have your crown jewels? And what are your crown jewels? And do and or do are they after the access to the crown jewels? So think about passwords to bank accounts, passwords to private files, passwords to other networks. These are all things that uh, you know the the bad guys will be doing and will be thinking as they breach your network. They've been there for three hundred days, and so you have to be proactive to get ahead of that. And it's essentially you know our, our view and some of our, our customers' view now. Well, you're you're actually uh, leading me to give you one of our favorite quotes when we speak, and that is, "If you fail to plan, you plan to fail." Yes, <laughs> I, I could counter that actually, uh, Sharon. One of the ones that we often use and hear is, uh, "You can't protect what you don't know." Ah, uh, another one of our favorites too. There what you, you don't know, you have, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I, I see we're feeding each other lines. <laughs> That's ahead, the risk of this game. <laughs> well, well P- Peter, you mentioned the, the term unstructured data previously, and I know that's familiar to me, but perhaps it's not familiar to, to a lot of our listeners. Can you So can you talk a little bit about how unstructured data is different from structured data? Yes, no, John, that's an excellent question. For us, the, the clue is kind of in the naming. If it's structured it means that it's kind of already gone through some kind of filtrage, triage, and parsing system, and typically sits in some kind of managed, structured environment, such as a database. Think SQL, think Oracle. If it's unstructured, I like to call it the Wild West, it could be in potentially hundreds, maybe even thousands of different types of repositories from those that we're very familiar with, like uh, you know, general office documents in the Microsoft or the Google stacks, through to a multitude of different tools that different organizations will use and proprietary repositories and other. And then somewhere in the middle, you do have semi-structured, which I don't think we need to worry about too much uh, today. <laughs> but for us, it's, it's really what's not in the database is unstructured. And I think another way, a uh, nice way of thinking about it, it's often about human interaction text messages. So certainly, you know, chat is deemed unstructured. Taking notes, maybe a law firm has uh, case files, those would be unstructured. So wherever you have human interaction, often that's unstructured, but not exclusively. And the last thing that, uh, again, I always think is interesting, I know you will both have a view on this, is, well, what percentage of our data is structured or unstructured? And since I can remember in this market, uh, the term 80% has been used. And uh, interestingly, last week I was at the RSA conference in San Francisco and talking to uh, a renowned analyst there that uh, you know, looks at the whole market. And I, I called them out on this and said, is this right? Or is it just an urban myth? <laughs> because everyone <laughs> says 80%. And uh, interestingly, he said that they had done some recent work and it was actually higher than that. And so most organizations are going to be facing 80% plus of their data uh, in an unstructured environment 
and uh, Wild West, and most of them have no idea what's in there. Thank you for telling us about that, but that's really consistent with recent studies we've read just in the past week or two, so it's it's helpful to have that uh, reaffirmed. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is how secures your law firm's data. Our guest is Peter Bauman, the CEO and founder of ActiveNav, a leading data privacy and governance software provider. Well, Peter, prior to the break, we talked a little bit about un unstructured data, but I want to take that a little bit further. And can you, you talk some about why unstructured data is often a, a bigger threat to the law firm's data security than structured data? Yeah, absolutely, John. And so, look, the legal sector is no is really no different to most sectors, and the risks of uh, unstructured data are largely the same or, or greater. The reason I, I believe that they're actually greater than, say, the average organization or, or sector is because the nature of the content that they're holding. It is by, by its very nature the, the job of law firms to hold sensitive information that could be information associated with individuals or a group of individuals, but they also hold either the money or the access to the money. And so the bad guys know that. And there's some good good stuff to go to go find, if you like. When you've got an arbitrary collection of unstructured data sitting in an email account or on a file server or chat stream, for example, you've got no signals or tools to identify and manage that data. You're, you're at risk. Hackers, if hackers were to infiltrate the organization's network, potentially via an unstructured data source, there's nothing stopping them from getting hold of that highly confidential client data matter files, court filings, contracts, de deposition files, etc. And aside of the monetary risk, it can also lead to a, a, you know, a significant loss of confidentiality trust. And data protection is tantamount to the legal industry's modus operandi ethos. And failure to keep data safe can and will result, I believe, in not only uh, compliance and contractual breaches and, of course, um, non-compliance with the regulatory privacy rules and laws out there, but also reputational damage. And to some extent, that's, that's the greatest risk that firms carry. Well, given that they, they absolutely do have that risk, why in the world do you think, we have our own ideas, but why do you think that legal organizations <laughs> avoid dealing with their unstructured data? Yeah, well, my flippant answer, and I think you know this, Sharon, although it's the first time we've met, is that it's just too hard. 
And maybe a slightly more nuanced answer is they don't really understand the implications of what might happen and what's in this data. So, you know, dealing with unstructured data feels daunting, can be all consuming. And because most legal organizations are kind of generally still unaware of the magnitude of the risk, they procrastinate on it. Is it something we do today? Do we push it off? Are we in control of our structured assets? And you know, can we can we just lean into the um, privacy policies and and cyber you know perimeter uh, protection that we already have? So for me, that's that's not unusual to to encounter in, in this sector. Legal staff, and I say this carefully, but maybe tempted to kind of cut corners on their their personal data security practices because at an individual level it seems low risk. And if you have thousands of individuals doing the same thing, then clearly you have thousands of potential entry points that hackers can exploit. Well, yeah, we find we find I think frequently that they just say it, it, it co- will cost too much and take too much time. At which point we start to talk about how much time and how much money a data breach co- will take. <laughs> well, that's right. The the ROIs against you know dealing and successfully dealing with your unstructured data are, are significant. You know, in the early days, 10 years or so ago, it was all about storage savings. And generally now it's it's the other side of the, the pinwheel. It's all about risk. And so you've got, you know, that there's there's no shortage of good ROI metrics here. And to some extent depends on that organization. We find that organizations are very willing to deal with this post-breach. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> <Yeah>. compelling. <laughs> um, and those that are dealing with it as a, a good practitioners, there's usually some other kind of catalyst that sets them off. And it might be something quite simple. Uh, it might be a data migration program or project. And they're moving their data from this, this box to another box and um, or into the cloud. And whilst they're doing that, it's a perfect opportunity to actually look at that data and, and get you know get your arms around it and clean it and label it and uh, do all the necessary um, good IG things that need to be done to it. Well, Peter, let's take a little bit different course here and, and talk something about the, the types of tools or resources that are available to deal with data assessments and, and remediation. Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we get to this. <laughs> the um, One of the reasons it's it's so hard to deal with and or people put it off is because they've either had a bad experience using maybe the wrong tool or they don't appreciate that there are tools to you know to deal with it i was at a gartner conference years ago um full of cios and one of the uh, one of the one of the best uh, gartner analysts i felt at the time came out with a lovely line she said look it was people and technology that got us in this mess. It's only technology is going to get us back out of this uh, unstructured <laughs> data mess. <laughs> and, and, and people, of course, it is, it is a joint thing. And, uh, and, and don't keep hoping it will go away or it's something episodic, maybe just for Christmas. It won't. It's a new line item on your p I thought that was really interesting. And I think some organizations have, you know, lent into that and accepted it and others are still fighting it and hoping it it can be dealt with through something else so the key thing is you need tools that are built to do the job not secondary or tertiary tertiary players and when you're trying to get around this the first thing you want to do is know what you've got back to our earlier point you can't you know you can't manage what you don't know and um for us that's really about um using tools that are built for unstructured data 
that are built to have no knowledge of the content and are built holistically ground up so they can deal with a large amount of content and have a, a you know a proven kind of workflow triage process so that you're not passing the burden of actually making decisions against the data to the users in, in the law firm you know to, to the busy partners who are out there earning dollars for their business they don't want to be worrying about this other than where they absolutely have to and so it's really important that uh, the right tools are used um, historically and unfortunately it's not historic it, it's still today a lot of organizations think that just carrying out a survey you know like a manual survey asking people about their data will suffice it's an important part of the process, but it, it doesn't. The moment the survey is complete, the day after, it's out of date. And the other problem with surveys is your reliance on the human um, recollection, memory recollection. And when you ask them what's an important document, they'll tell you what they worked on last week. If you ask them what did they work on two years ago, they won't have a clue and they won't remember. So you have a very narrow point in time and so the, the best way of doing it is combining those manual exercises and surveys, which do have some value, and then blending them or mapping them against actual data. What's your data about? Well, who's typically responsible, Peter, for information governance, policy, and risk assessments at a law firm or an organization? Yeah. So to some extent, it depends on the size of the firm. If it's... Um, a law 100, then you'll probably have a whole department, maybe a dozen people working in the department, and it will be very integrated with uh, with the kind of the risk area, CISO and, and other. If it's a smaller firm, then it may come down to just you know one one partner or a couple of people that uh, respond for it with some some support and some assistance. Generally speaking, the IT department is responsible for the technology and the systems that the data you know, resides in. The actual owners of the data are, of course, not the IT department. And so the IT department can't take responsibility of making kind of decisions against the data. So you do need to have subject matter experts, as they're commonly known, SMEs. And those SMEs will typically be people who own the data. And ultimately, they will be the, the partners, the lawyers in, in those firms. Other people somewhere in the mix are records managers, depending on the organization who are experts on the data and will already understand how that organization chooses to, to kind of manage it. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. So, Peter, how do you get buy-in from lawyers to actually put proactive information governance or data protection policies in place? What's the secret sauce for that? Ah, uh, yes. 
you show them their own data. And what do I mean by that? You shine a light on their own data and you show them the risk that they have within their organization and you show the risk against a few things. You run the out-of-the-box uh, algorithms, rules, et cetera, which will uh, very quickly raise sensitive information that shouldn't be there, PII and the like, non-compliant you know, privacy regulation type data. But you also show them the data against their existing in-house policies. And one of the things I love about this, we're talking to a law firm just recently, they've never had a retention policy on their emails. And so we all know that email has been around for at least 20 years now. And so they have 20 years worth of emails. <laughs> the, uh, the, the risk So they're, they're a typical law firm then. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it, it would appear that way, John. I was trying to be polite. <laughs> and so the risk threat is unbelievable. If you have a policy that just says five years, you've removed an enormous amount of risk. And in this particular case, they're looking at a couple of policies, one for the, um, the, the, the people who have been in the organization for a long period of time, maybe 10 years, and then for newcomers, uh, new staff, it will be one year. And so they're trying to go through a, you know, a process of, of making that, that easier. But it's really about bringing it to life and showing the risk, and then where you can also showing the value. And when we really talk about the pinwheel, one side is all about risk and compliance, but once you've got through that, you start to extract the value from the data. And ultimately, you know, managing partners and the like, that's what they really want. How can they leverage the information they've got to uh, you know, be, be better custodians of either their customers' data or take other offerings to market? Well, Peter, I think our listeners, they understand the obvious risks of you know, case matter information or personal information that that might be leaked during a, during a breach. But what what about other risks to the law firm if they don't have a proactive data strategy? Yeah, I mean, I talked a little bit about this uh, earlier on, John. Let me see if I can just pad it out a, a wee bit more. We talked a bit about reputation, and I think that that's super important. A law firm is built on confidence and and reputation, and so trust those kind of items. The cost, the monetary costs that you'll you'll be hit with for such a breach. Talk a little bit about that, and obviously we we're all familiar with GDPR, but with the you know what looks like a forthcoming U.S. federal privacy regulation, and let's not kid ourselves, the U.S. is extremely litigious compared to the the EU and uh, including the U.K., and so we expect to see the teeth you know being sharpened up on all the U.S. Uh, privacy regulations at a state level, and then also at a federal level. And then to my last point, you know, finally, you know, large volumes of unstructured data prevent any law firm from kind of being agile. You know, they're going to struggle to pivot, to grow, to scale the business. They won't have any confidence or they shouldn't have any confidence in their kind of trend analysis. And you know, that will feed through to their ability to really monitor profitability and, and all kind of risk uh, management and reporting. So it's so important, this data. If it wasn't so important, why is there so much of it? And why does every single customer inter interaction have so much unstructured data? And so the value has to be managed, controlled, de-risked, and then leveraged for the good of the organization. 
Well, I certainly think that's true. And let, let's let's have our final question kind of be a practical tip. If a law firm doesn't have anything in place right now to govern their unstructured data, what's the first step you want them to walk away with today that they can implement? Yeah, well, the first thing is you need a plan. Without a plan, you know, you, you can't you can't get anywhere, as we as we know. And part of that plan is then making sure you've got the right executive sponsorship. And in law firms, that's going to be the managing partners. It has to go to the top because this does carry, you know, challenges with it. And it's only going to be successful with executive sponsorship. So a plan and then the right support and sponsorship. Then you get into the, the nuts and bolts, if you like. And uh, for us, we talked about that, uh, that, you know, that, that kind of human survey. That's a very helpful process to go through. And you've probably already done it on your structured data. So leverage that across your unstructured. But then more importantly, thing, you need an up-to-date inventory of all those data assets. And once you have those in place, you can leverage any of the knowledge and experience and methodologies you've maybe used already for your structured data, carry those across into the unstructured space. But more important than anything else is that you bring the right tools in to support this process. And the right tools, and I'll be a little bit controversial here, they're not re-leveraged e-discovery tools, which this community is very familiar with, which are brilliant at looking at multi-threads on a small amount of data, a few gigabytes, maybe a few terabytes. These are tools that can look at potentially petabytes, but certainly tens and tens of terabytes. And you need to use these tools to provide an up-to-date inventory of all your unstructured data assets. Not an episodic one, but one that's kept current. And so whether that current for you is daily, weekly, you know, possibly even monthly, for unstructured data, that, that's current. And so you need to do a data inventory and you need to use the data that comes out of the data inventory and align it with your policies, procedures, and your other methodologies, and then you you essentially need to start a process of uh, data uh, remediation and management and classification as as appropriate in your organization. Well, I think that's a, a good first step for them to take. And certainly, John and I want to thank you for being our guest today. Peter, you've given them, I think, a look into unstructured data, which many have not had previously. You've told them what they might do about it, how to create a, a roadmap. Um, and you've done it all with that charming British accent that I so dearly love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I made you laugh. <laughs> a lot of Americans are in love with British accents. What can I tell you? <laughs> well, I never, un we, us Brits, we literally don't understand that. We think it's very strange behavior. <laughs> it's just the way we talk. <laughs> Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or an Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, managed technology, and managed cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.